the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third hello and welcome to right episode 20 of the third window films podcast my name is ben and with me is adam from third window films yeah 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 And this show is a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan, being me, and the man himself, being Adam Terrell. Why, thank you very much. Bonsoir. (laughs) Lush. Well, look, we've got another first for the show today, which is very exciting. We have not just one, but two very special guests joining us. Um, So, yeah, let's get into it. First, we have Sarah Appleton. Now, she is the driving force behind Caprissar Productions, which is a London-based video production company best known for their documentaries, including The Found Footage Phenomenon and Damaged. Now, on top of documentary producing and directing, Sarah is also a regular contributor of booklet essays for Blu-rays, including Paranormal Activity, Ghost Watch, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Cannibal Holocaust, and Lake Mungo, among others. Now, joining her is Jasper Sharp. He's a celebrated critic, author, and filmmaker with a keen specialization in Japanese cinema. Jasper co-founded Midnight Eye with friend of the show Tom Mess, which was a pioneering platform that championed Japanese films from 2001 to 2015. His insights into the world of cinema have graced global publications like Sight and Sound, The Guardian, and Variety. And Jasper's published works, including The Midnight Eye Guide to Japanese Film and Behind the Pink Curtain, have shed light on the intricacies of Japanese cinema throughout the years. Furthermore, he co-directed the documentary The Creeping Garden. I made it through. Now, they're both here today as they have a brand new documentary out that they co-produced and co-directed together. It's called The J-Horror Virus, and it's getting its world premiere at Fright Fest next week. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Yes. Lovely to meet you again. (laughs) You too. Those intros seemed like a good idea at the start, and I instantly regretted it about halfway through. Uh, You did well, except for the one time you messed up that has been edited out of this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you, Adam. So where are you guys right now? Um, we're just down Eastbourne. Eastbourne, yes, just south just coast. south coast, south of London. Are you ready for the uh, the release of the film next week? Uh, is it next week already? I don't know. Well, no, clearly not. <laughs> but, uh... Sorry, it, it will be when this comes out. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's in two and a half weeks at this present moment, but yeah, no. Who, yeah, uh, <laughs> I guess we were it. actually talking about we were actually talking in the car yesterday about how how to introduce it. When and I, I like to make a joke, so I'm I'm trying to think of a good joke to come out on stage with. But yeah, that's all we were thinking about. Oh man, are you going to make it a J horror joke or? You're writing our script. Uh, <laughs> Well, what about uh, because when I when I saw you guys uh, in Japan, when was it about two months ago or yeah, so? March, Maybe a bit longer. March, April, I think. It was in March, yeah. And I guess you were just finalizing it there, and then you had a, a screening for the uh, the people who were involved with it, weren't you? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We wanted a bit of feedback and make sure everyone was happy with what they said, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit nerve wracking. And did you have any jokes when you introduced it then? 
No, it's actually quite uh, awkward because I don't, we, well, Jasper's Japanese is pretty rusty, right? So <laughs> they all speak <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> yeah, I was standing up there and sort of facing off against Sadako, so at the screening, so <laughs> it was a sort of a bit nervous. <laughs> Well, I think may, maybe you just need to get uh, a Sadako lookalike to attend the Prince to the the uh, Fright Fest screening, and then you can you can repeat that as your as your introduction. Might be a good idea, actually. If you put a wig on me, I could probably get away with it. <laughs> there <we> go, yeah. <laughs> it would have been cool, you know, if it, if the, if Japan wasn't so far away to get her to come over or something, because I don't think she's really done much about the ring since since the film came out you know because she said she hadn't really been interviewed about it ever since so it would have been good but i think it's just they don't have any budget ever yeah what was curious at the screening as well was that um uh hiroshi takahashi was there the screenwriter of the ring and it's like he introduced himself and i don't think they'd ever actually met before because why would a screenwriter sort of meet the actor necessarily so it was like, oh my god, you know, after you know, twenty five years after the film came out, and and I, maybe they'd met once or twice, but they certainly weren't in touch. And I, and I don't, yeah, as Sarah was saying, I don't think Rie gets interviewed very much. That is fascinating, isn't it? Because you were just saying how, you know, film is a collaborative medium, and there's so many people involved. But actually, you know, you can assume that everyone knows each other, but they probably get very minimal contact even throughout production. Yeah, and I think that actually people think because she, I guess she was a monster, she shouldn't have like dialogue and she wasn't like a character in that way, that people probably didn't really think to ask her about it. I'm not really sure why, but I felt like she would be really interesting to ask, you know, just to see behind the hair to, for one thing, you know. Sure. She's the one person that we didn't put a still of in the in the press packs just because we wanted it to be like a bit of a surprise if anyone didn't know what she looked like really but apart from that right well yeah i mean obviously adam and i saw saw the film you sent us a screener very kindly um and both really enjoyed it so we don't want to talk too much about what's actually specifically spoken about in the film because obviously people are going to find that out themselves but yeah there's just fascinating interviews with so many different you know directors and performers and the writers and the producers and and obviously academics on the subject as well. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of like, I think I was expecting similar to the found footage phenomenon that, Sarah, you directed previously. But actually, I thought this went even deeper into the kind of subject matter because it was more about um, opinions and actual experiences of these these people. I just thought it was it was just a really, really fascinating watch. I loved it. Thank you. I think we both have the opinion that... Um it's uh it's i don't know that um when you have western critics or whatever looking at J japanese films uh, it can you can i don't know not always be sure if they have necessarily interpreted everything correctly or or maybe because it's like films are seen later or in a different sort of context as well like so we definitely thought that at least if you get it from the horse's mouth, like all the directors who made those films, that you could disagree with it, but at least it's more like natural, do you know what I mean? Like from from mm. them rather than interpreted by people who probably also don't even speak Japanese. 
So a hundred percent. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, one, I mean, Adam and I. Oh, sorry. Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting is around about the time the peak of the J horror boom, there were lots of sort of books and academic papers and articles there that always sort of pitched this J horror as being part of this sort of evolutionary endpoint of a of Japanese horror, sort of something that started with Ugetsu you know, which is not a horror film anyway, but I mean, it started in the 50s and it's all based on traditions. This was just refining it for the modern age. But, um, you know, and The Ring was definitely the sort of like the high point of this particular movement. But I mean, it ignores the fact that, you know, there has been horror in Japan since day one, since the silent era, since, you know, big genre in the 30s. And also that J-horror is now like, it's been over for like about 20 years, pretty much. (laughs) Um, (laughs) <laughs> I'd, yeah, just just looking at J horror, conflating it with Japanese horror in general, um, is sort of wrong. Um, but I think it was sort of interesting seeing this particular movement getting it more from their point of view of how it evolved. You know, rather than trying to historicize, we sort of building up an alternate history with the, the actual makers talking about how they knew each other, how they exchanged ideas. Um, you know, getting it from the horse's mouth not like as an outside observer. Yeah, and our main thing is I think a lot of people have said who've seen it so far, which is not many people have said like they didn't realise how connected all those people were with each other because you kind of, we see filmmakers as quite separate over here, I think, but they were all, they generally all knew each other and worked together and learned from each other and stuff, which I thought was interesting. And that's how you can really say it's a movement in itself because they they were all connected rather than just watching a film and then learning from it. Yeah, and of course, people like Yoshi Kurosawa and and Takahashi were like also working as critics at the same time. You know, so it's like double double job between filmmaking and criticism. So they were almost like writing about each other's works and exchanging ideas, and and so that's how it sort of formed that sort of interconnectedness. It's very interesting. Definitely. What was it that uh, initially made you think that, you know, J-horror would be a good subject for a documentary? What, like, attracted you to the idea behind it? I mean, Sarah is a big horror fan. I'm a big Japanese fan, so there's obviously the Venn diagram sort of aspect. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She comes at it from a totally different generation from me. I mean, when we started at Midnight Eye, that was sort of, we were lucky that, uh, I mean... I was neither Tom or I were attracted to Japanese films through J horror. In fact, we started writing Midnight Sky before the boom really hit. Um, but mm. obviously, when The Ring came out, we were sort of on that wave. There was a big wave of interest in Japanese film, and uh, we were in the right place to sort of capitalize on that. Um, but you know, I was like late twenties, I guess, when the original Ring came out. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was about six. (laughs) 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 I think I was in the middle somewhere. I think I was about yeah uh, fifteen, and I remember seeing the VHS on uh, on the shelf, and it was just the you know the extended eye of um, Sadako behind the hair. And I remember even being like quite unnerved by that image (laughs) before I'd even seen the film, just being like, "Oh, that looks messed up." I mean, it was a total I think when it came out. I mean, it was just so anti-anything that Hollywood were doing, all the screen films, for example. I mean, it was just, there was something very 
it, I, I, there weren't any of that sort of jump out scares or gore or sex or any of the sort of stuff that I used to love in horror movies from the eighties, <laughs> for example, in the video analysis age. It was just so low key, but so sort of enigmatic. It sort of jumped all over the place, and you weren't really quite sure. You know, there was something very cryptic about it. it went totally against the sort of Hollywood norms of the time. Yeah, and see, I don't know whether how they came across like to adults because even horror fan adults because um when i first watched basically all the j horror films i was like around 10 because my dad was writing a book about them and so we watched everything like all this stuff that wasn't out over here so i saw loads of obscure stuff as well but they were really scary like really probably the scariest films i was watching around that time which was quite a lot of like hammer and and just like american stuff like final destination and things like that and um so i don't know i feel like if i watch them as an adult though maybe they're not not as scary i don't know you guys can tell me more what do you think when I saw Juon, I was working at the time at a uh, cinema in Florida, and uh, we, I was really into. I also worked at a video shop uh, in town as well, and I would get a lot of like um, VCDs or VHS from from overseas, and then bring them into the video shop and rent them out to customers, and also screen them in the cinema at midnight with with just the people that worked in the cinema. And I remember waiting, and, and he, when when I mean Juon was a bit a bit later, but um when Juon, I'd been really really desperate to see it, and I got it, and I we played it at around midnight, obviously just just for the stuff in the cinema, and I was for like about a week, I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't sleep, and people from the cinema used to call me up in the middle of the night and do that voice, you know that, <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I, I, I literally I was just so scared, and I kept just like you know I was living in the small studio apartment at that time, and I almost had to sleep with the lights on after that. <laughs> And I was uh, probably about sixteen or seventeen or something, or, or so. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't young by any means. Uh, I, I think it, you know they they really were scary films from what I remember. It's been a long time since I've seen any of them, so maybe if I watch them now, but I, then again, I've I've seen them, so I know what's coming next. But but they were really impactful. I guess I got a bit of a funny story about Juon because um, uh, I was living in Tokyo at that time, and I was at the Tokyo International Film Festival. That's like was it two thousand two or two thousand three. But it was the year the Ring remake uh, came out, and that was playing at Tokyo Film Festival. And like basically, all the critics were a lot more excited about this American remake of a Japanese film than they were about any of the Japanese films in the in the program. So it was almost like you know Japanese cinema has arrived now. Because remember, like two thousand two, I mean Japanese cinema was like audience share was minuscule. Um, mm. So it was like this great honor. But I was this. I was trying to get an interview with the director. I think it was Yukihiko Tsutsumi. So I went up to this sort of big official-looking man who was clearly a producer, and um, said, "Here, how do I get an interview with Tsutsumi?" And he was going, "Oh, don't bother about that. We've got this new horror film." And he literally handed me the VHS tape there. They, they, oh, clearly at the, that, that stage, that all the producers were really keen to sort of um, get their work out, the, make films for remakes, almost. Um, yes, yeah, so I just took this video home. And actually, I'll be honest, if you look at my review of Midnight Eye, because it's very easy to check back on that, I was a bit lukewarm about the film, because <laughs> watching it on a grainy video, unlike Ring, I think there are so many details in Juon which are really subtle on the edges of the frame that you didn't catch on a tiny little TV watching it. 
um, from the HS. And so I do recall going to see it like a uh, press screening as well. Um, and this was before it'd been anyone was talking about remaking it with Shimitu in charge. But I went to see it in a, in a press screening and, and it was actually, you know, that bit, I think there's one bit where the, a door opens and you see Toshio reflected in it, which you didn't get these sort of details on the VHS. All these little details, they were really unnerving. I think that's what I've always, you know, loved so much about J-horrors. It's not all about jump scares and, you know, loud noises. It's actually just this slow, creeping dread that's constantly there. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you're right. Like, if you lose that creak of the door opening or even just a slight, you know, shadow in the background, then you've lost it, essentially. Yeah, yeah my, my favourite thing, I think, about them was just that, well, what I was always scared was being when I was on my own, like in if people, if there was no one in the house or something. And I think that's the totally the vibe that you get in a lot of those films. Like I'm thinking, John especially, they have quite a few scenes where like the girl will go back to her house on her own and it will be all silent, and then like the TV starts going wrong, and and then she looks under the bed and and Kayako is there. And it's it's those moments that I think, uh, just the quiet moments that I don't know if anyone else, any other films sort of looked, tried to make those too scary, really. I guess that's the mm. thing, because, you know, if you're alone in the home, you know, one thing you do to, to sort of relax or to sort of block out all the background noise would be to turn the TV on. So it's, 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 <laughs> TV should be a yes. but not have something crawling out of it. <laughs> and they make it, especially in the ring, like... We can't get the TV off. Like, turn off. <laughs> I need to escape from this. I remember having this vivid nightmare when I was a kid after I'd seen The Ring, of um, like all the tellies would turn on in the house, and like, and she was just Sadako was just coming out of them, and I was running out into the street. And as I was running down the street, all the doors of the houses were opening, and she was coming out of them all. So, quite impactful when you're a kid. <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> what did you um, have to approach the research for this documentary in any particular way? Because I've say obviously Jasper has like a, a history with this, and Sarah, you do too with your father's book and everything. Um, was it different to how you normally would research for a documentary? Well, I, I mean, I would say that um, I've already written, like I wrote this historical dictionary of Japanese film, and we had a, I had a, wrote a whole section on Japanese horror and J horror as a subsection i did this video essay for the ring box set for arrow about five years ago so i know all the beats the historical beats um you know the narrative of how japanese horror evolved but there's a difference between being a writer and a filmmaker as a writer i'm used to being very exhaustive and very precise and getting all the details down and you can't do that in a film it's just too um I don't know, sensory overload, you know, so you're not just mm. check, checklisting lots of films and going, this came first, this came that. So I think Sarah was quite good at telling me this, that, you know, you've basically got a structure of film about what people say and how the narrative flows. So, in fact, you're getting an alternate narrative through the voice of the inter uh, interviewees. So, I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know, as... For Sarah's point of view as an editor, how how it's evolved. Um, well, hmm. it's quite hard to describe editing. Um, it's sort of like comes naturally. So you just like 
hearing what people are saying in interviews I mean the thing is obviously you plan the interviews and you know what you want to ask them but you don't know what they're going to say and Mm. you don't know how that's going to flow with other people if only one person said something really like completely tangent um, you can't really put it in there because you can't just keep going on loads of tangents and I had to explain to Jasper stuff like you know as much as it's sort of interesting about how Jehora actually came over to the West, like the actual distribution network and whatever. It's kind of a bit boring to go too deep into like, you know, all the companies that brought them over or the fact that it came, the ring went to festivals for the first time and stuff. And it's just, it's not necessarily boring, but it's just like too long. You want to, mm. you have to just make sure that we keep it concise to like a certain length as well to keep people interested so there's a lot of decisions you have to make that obviously if it was a book, it probably would all go in there. That's fascinating. Like, so it, you obviously still have all that footage somewhere. Is there <laughs> going to be like a, you know, like a, a B-roll or bonus features or I don't know, virus 1.5 or anything like that down the line, maybe? There could be, if there was like a Blu-ray, you could definitely make extras out of the footage. Because the thing with documentary is you record interviews with people for, a, for like an hour and a half. So you you end up with like, 30 hours of footage or something which obviously mm-hmm. most of it is not being used but so there's interesting stuff that gets left out but i would say like the most interesting stuff is obviously in the film so yeah yeah sure. a lot of people well, have rambled off on on tangents i mean say chinya sukamoto was like a fascinating interviewee and he was but he's not directly associated with jay horror so he was having lots of thoughts and and sort of it was some really funny stuff but obviously you know, yeah. it's not all of it's and pertinent to the matter in hand. I always maintain, like, because um, I think we had a few discussions about who to get in the film and stuff, and I think that even if, so if someone like Sukamoto, just because he didn't make a J-horror, like, from our definition, he is still, like, a filmmaker around at the similar time period and can ref- and would be reflecting at the time and watching these films and i think it's interesting to get that opinion because if you why why not i mean i think it's valid to get somebody's point of view just because they weren't actually making one it doesn't mean that they don't have don't know about it do you know what i mean but he was definitely making cult genre pieces anyway that you could view as a sort of counterpart to jay horror and of course we should remember that as an actor he did appear in shimizu's marabito the stranger from afar so he's not entirely divorced from the whole scene. 100%. He was honestly one of my favourite pieces of the film, just for what you are saying there about him just commenting on his experiences and when he first saw this and what it made him think and how he could, like, you know, reuse these ideas and on his own terms. I just thought that was absolutely fascinating and that's when I really sort of sat back and thought, wow, this documentary is bringing something that we haven't really heard before because he's never really spoken out about that sort of stuff anywhere else or that I've seen. At yeah, least. he usually asks about his own films, doesn't he, really? So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Directors on directors um, can be really interesting because they're obviously thinking about how to, what to make and, and what interests them in filmmaking and everything like that. So, yeah, I just, why not? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit later about the, the kind of upcoming films from the director's company that Adam's putting mm-hmm. out. And even that is such a fascinating collective of of minds and how that all came about. Um, but just sticking with this for now, I mean, 
you said you can plan who you're going to talk to and generally know what you're going to ask, but you can't always know what they're going to say. Were there any kind of like really surprising moments that came out of production that you were like, oof, I, I didn't didn't expect that? I would say yeah. that uh, Masayuki Ochiai uh, was a, a revelation because, you know, I always considered him, if you look at his films like Hypnosis or, or Parasite Eve that were coming out at the same time as... Uh, the ring, the, the very first, I mean, he's, he wasn't really Jay horror, but obviously he sort of ran with the same herd. Um, but he was incredibly eloquent because I was saying, you know, like, he was not someone I would have initially would have put on the short list of must have people, but he, he said some great stuff. Um, and of course that he, because he worked on a, a remake of, uh, of, Sh- of Shutter, which is like a, a Thai film, but a, a very J-horror-inspired Thai film. It sort of brought the whole thing full circle, so I think he was brilliant. Yeah, I pushed for him, I will say, because <laughs> Jasper <laughs> tended to have the final word on these people because he knew how to get hold of them, and I was like, no, we must get him because we he's a good connection to the american remakes and he and it makes sense because he's japanese so and his story about being japanese and trying to bring the japanese the j-horror elements through a japanese sort of temperament into the american market like was really interesting Hmm. did you ever try to get like roy lee because i you know i remember because i was was a name that always pissed me off because i being when i first got into um distribution was at the time of of jay horror and actually i was quite i mean i got into the concept and i i started working for tartan films which i'm sure you just might have even tried to make it a subject of the film but as you mentioned it would become a bit more complex but um (laughs) yeah i said the asia extreme i was was, yes (laughs) I was working for them when I started my company. It was sort of the anti-Tartan films, and if you look at the the the, the um sort of uh, thesis, not the thesis, like the introduction of the company that, that was written twenty years ago. So it's like making releasing films that aren't the long-haired J horror type, because I started around the time that J horror was getting really crap, and it was Roy Lee that I was always really pissed off at for like just trying to make everything into an American remake. So I was wondering, like, if you would. It's really cool. Oh, yeah. so at the time of Midnight Sire, I think in mid 2000s, and when I started doing programming, I was like almost like evangelical going around the country going, you know, there's more to Japanese cinema than long head goats and Yakuza and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I really, I really wanted to get more um, like uh, opinions and more people from the American stuff. Like, we tried to get Gore Verbinski, for instance, to see how, you know, what was it like to translate that first film into America? But he didn't, you know, respond or whatever. But I did message Roy Lee on Twitter and say, do you want to do this? And he was like, he literally replied, if I remember correctly, he just replied, when? <laughs> like, this huge <laughs> message, and he just put, when? And then I sent like, loads more info, and he just never replied again, so... Sadly. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. anyone who wants to know more about Roy Lee, there's just this brilliant variety. Was it the variety? No, it's the New Yorker article from um, about the time of the, the Ring remake and when Juon was still upcoming, a behind the scenes uh, expose on Roy Lee, which you Google it Roy Lee, New York Times, uh, not sorry, New, York, the New Yorker. And it's, it's a brilliant read. Nice. I'll do that. <laughs> Were there anyone else? Was there anyone else that you really wanted to get um, that just were not obtainable? 
that you just couldn't. What do you reckon? Down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to say, but I you can't know, wait maybe. to answer this question like five thousand times. We, um, sorry, no offense, but yeah, no. Well, you can just send them to this podcast if they want the answer. We tried to get Hideo Nakata, obviously. Um, Jasper knows him because he interviews him for Midnight Eye back in the well, day. He, he wrote and... the forward for the Midnight Eye. Yeah, guy. yeah. yeah. So, and and I think you met up with him or something like you did. Sort of know him. Yeah. And you messaged. He messaged him um, on Facebook because no one seems to have emails anymore. I don't know. <laughs> um, and he replied just saying like he he wasn't really interested in being involved. And we asked him twice, like after so oh, after we got loads of other people like Kurosawa and stuff, just so he knew that it was like real, like we, mm. we and um, what's the word like sort of like professional because we got all these other people legitimate he, right yeah. yeah legitimate yeah and he yeah. he still said no so what can you do you can't force people well i mean there's a combination i mean he said he was very busy as as just the filmmaker so it didn't really fit his schedule but the other thing i did get the distinct impression that he just doesn't want to talk about the ring anymore Mm. Yeah, I thought it was a bit of a shame because we felt like we got everyone else who was important and um it could have been sort of definitive say on it, but I, I, I guess it is quite an omission, but I would like to not be too negative about it. I think but maybe. The other thing yeah. is it's quite yeah. interesting because we had everyone else that was involved in it, Joji Ida and uh, Hiroshi Takahashi, and, and that we actually take quite a long time getting to the ring. We're looking at more of the evolution before the ring. Mm. So it's almost like we didn't really need him in the end. Because I don't, I can't imagine he would have said much more than other people wouldn't have said. I mean, he would have, obviously, but I mean, I, I think you know. Yeah, he's got a good line going with this, but I, obviously, it would be good to get him. <laughs> so, to be honest, though, like he's still him every single time. You know, being a buyer of uh, of, of Japanese cinema, every single well, film major film markets, one of the big studios comes up to me and they're like. We've got the new Nakata Hideo film. It's a, and I'm like, yeah, like he's made, still makes like two horror films a year, and they're all completely awful. And like, you know, every time because the ring was so big that all these studios continue to give him money to make ring films that are close to the ring. I mean, or, 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 te- or genre films. I mean, he's making films for Warner Brothers. He's making films for all the big studios. And to be frank, uh, they're all really, really terrible. And yet. <laughs> he still seems to get the big budgets to make them because of the impact of the ring 20 years ago, you know, uh, it's it's 20 years ago. And in that time, this is my, my opinion is that he's made like 20 crap films since then. And, and he has no consistency in terms of a high level. And yet he still keeps on churning out these films and every sales agent keeps on coming out to me. They're like, we've got the new Nakata film like the new Nakata horror film. And I'm like, yeah, well, I saw the his last one like ha- half a year ago. And I had the other crap one a year before that and the other crap one a year before that. And uh, I, I, I can't, I'm not going to watch it because I know it's going to be crap. But um, it just shows, I guess, I guess, I mean, maybe I'm a bit being a, a bit yeah, like too much, to be honest. But at him. I mean, <laughs> you guys have just experienced Adam's fool. Like, yeah, this is what he does. Well, I, saying, like, I, I still mean, watch him. Like, <laughs> I always think of it. I mean, like, I would say he's a structuring absence in our in our edit in the, in the film. So, you know, obviously the ring. Was I don't know what he's done. I mean, what has he even done since Dark Water? I mean, you say he's done loads, but I, nothing that's come that's over here, really, right? Yeah. 
It's because they're not no. good enough to go over there, that's why. But no, I saw he's one, making big. Yeah, with the sort of multi personality girl that uh, turned into a massive softcore romp that was from about five years ago, so straight to video. He's got two new films this year, two new films in cinemas this year. Uh, and sure. he had last year had a. Uh, horror, horror. And the last year I had this manga adaptation called Usugoi, which was the thing is the reason why you don't see them is because they are pretty, pretty damn terrible, to be honest. But um, he he's still making Netflix them and... as well. The, he, do, he does the Fukushima story or something. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was obviously not not horror. Um, yeah. and I remember even a few years ago, I was with a friend, um, a producer who was actually trying to get him to make uh, a remake of an English language comedy. Uh, with an English cast uh, and set in Japan, um, but um, it was like a family comedy. But it didn't actually get, it didn't work. The script was written and it was moving forward, but it didn't end in the end. But it would have been nice to see something else because I guess all the big studios in Japan are still just giving him money to make another type of ring horror, and he is making them. They're just not not getting out there because they're they're, they're not good. But uh, if you, I'll, I'll send you some links if you'd like uh, if you've got the 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 time because he is con. The best of the worst, come on. Yeah, um, I, did, I have to say, I do think that it's a bit sad if somebody, you know, somebody has a big success, like own, like be happy and not, why would you be bitter about it? Like you be mm. happy that everyone in the world knows your name because of this. I don't think, I don't really understand why you would be like, oh no, I don't want to talk about that anymore. I mean, I think it's like, you know, Shimizu had the same issue that you become typecast and Shimizu likes horror, but I know that Nakata would rather not be making horror films. But obviously when you you get brought over to Hollywood and mainly because of your name, um, coming back from that and going back to work in your local industry is is probably pretty depressing. I mean, I think it's funny. The only the only director I can think of that has really made a successful go of it in, in Hollywood from Japan is Ryuhei Kitamura, who seems to like be completely under the radar, just going out making international films. He did Midnight Meat Train, right? Yeah. That yeah. was a long time ago, to be fair. Yeah, I love that film. It's so good. He's got... He is doing it. I mean, he's, he's consistently making more, more films over in the States than in Japan at the moment. But he's got the one of the things he's fluent English, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I thought he'd just been living over there for decades when I saw Midnight Meat Train, but I don't know how it actually all came about. But I, I haven't seen many of his films. To he be studied honest. in Australia, so he, he spoke oh, okay. really good English. Well, just going back to, though, uh, Nakata, but in a positive way, one of the things that your film did wonderfully was made me want to go back to his previous work before Ringu and see how he developed from that. And that's been one of the most enlightening things I've done recently uh, with kind of like my, my watch list. Um, and I, I think what, you, like you said, Ringu kind of comes into your documentary about halfway through the film. And there's so much, you know, build up to that and, and how like the, um, uh, the kind of, um, the industry was changing in Japan at the time. Um, so yeah, I, ju I just think that's going to be a really uh, eye-opening part to people's, even people that think they know J-horror, I think they're going to find something from that. We should definitely... Yeah, um, on... Sorry. I'll just, just emphasise the role in, in all of this of Norio Saruta as well. I mean, this was the important mm -hmm. thing of bringing it back to him because, you know, everyone... If people know the name, it's through Ring Zero. I mean, I remember seeing uh, uh, Kakashi, the Scarecrow um, 
horror movie he did in the early 2000s, which just seemed like very generic uh, J-horror ripoff. But then you realise that actually he was, you know, one of the founding fathers of it all. Uh, so we're hopefully bringing back some attention to him and his role in it. Sorry, Sarah, go on. No, it's fine. I was just going to say on reflection, I wish we had been able to get to ring about the 45-minute point because I think it is actually crazy that we didn't get to ring until like an hour in <laughs> and I think that potentially that might be a negative but anyway let's not dwell on that um I honestly <laughs> I, I I really don't think so like I said I think I was expecting to go in and see a light touch kind of overview of the thing and it didn't do that at all I thought it went way more in depth than I, think, I was personally expecting yeah and then Jasper always wanted to go into the origins and I think that I was more at the beginning, like I wanted to cover some of the American stuff as well, but it, like I say, it just depends who you get and and things like that, how it gets shaped. And actually, mm. I think we embraced the whole origins thing, and hopefully, people will generally be like, "Oh, I learned about this film I didn't know about." So, I, well, I think you know a lot ghost of these actress, like, sorry, go <laughs> sorry, Justin. Yeah, I mean, these films from the VHS era, you know, probably about ten. 15 years ago if you attempted to release them they were so close that you'd look at and go well that's so cheap it's in vhs and stuff but i think we're now at a stage where we can historicize them properly and realize you know that and take them for what they are as opposed to just the the medium that they're presented on um so Mm -hmm. i think there's a potentially rich harvest of straight to video stuff from the late 80s and, and early 90s that uh people probably want to see now because i mean it's so instrumental to the the evolution of the japanese film industry yeah i've seen a lot of people say that they want to watch jagan ray psychic vision and Mm. um there is like a copy on the internet but uh i just think it's great that people want to go back and watch this stuff that they didn't you know that didn't come out over here at all um, or in America at all at the time, and I, I I don't really know the history of Ghost Actress, but I um as in like the release, I, I did it ever come out over here? Probably did, right? I don't think it came out in the UK ever because uh, it had an American remake with the Eli Roth remade it, didn't he? I mean, not as the director, I think he produced it, and it was remade called Don't Look Up in America because I watched that when I was a kid. So I don't know if the original came out. Never did, never did. But it's sort of like a good dry run for, for the ring. Um, and I remember when we were writing the Midnight Eye guides, I mean, we had uh, two tire video shops, um, the whole floor of Japanese VHSs and every, it was all segregated by director. And I, I wrote the chapter on Nakata. So going into a massive deep dive into his filmography, you know, and there was stuff like um, there was a gangster thriller, Yakuza thriller, um, Assassination Town. I think it was called, which was like about a year before, and that was written by um, Takahashi as well. Had a very similar style, and even things like Chaos, you know, he had a definitely distinctive visual style that sort of is interesting, and if you look at the ring now, you can put it in some sort of context. Very typical of that sort of turn of the millennium, sort of uh, very maudlin, sort of, depressing and anxious sort of uh, strain of cinema that happened before stuff like ping pong came along and revolutionized you know and and cinema Japanese cinema became a lot more upbeat I think a lot of people watch these documentaries to add to their watch list you know 
um i forgot the exact title but shudder did one i think it's called like into the darkness was it which was like a study of 80s that's the one thank you and then so i was just watching that going oh my god there's like 30 films here that i haven't seen yet and then they did a 90s one i think they're going into noughties now and obviously with the found footage phenomenon the same thing um and yeah i added a bunch from watching this that i was like i didn't even know about this film so that was another really big plus for me yeah, um, I will take this opportunity to correct you and say that they're going into the 90s now. Um, and I only say that because me and Phil are actually making a Nauties documentary at the moment. So oh, yeah. we're, trying to, we're trying to get that done before Search of Darkness hit the Nauties. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, do you know what? That was, gonna, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask because obviously you had the found footage phenomenon and now you've gone to the J-horror virus. I was going to say, is there another sort of subgenre or area of cinema you were going to maybe cover next but yeah, yeah that's, that's sticking with horror then yeah i mean we kind of want to stop making documentaries about horror <laughs> films now but um we already d- we always decided to do me and phil decided to do naughty's one um uh but it's just taken a while because we've been so busy with other f- projects and he made a documentary about texas chains massacre in the meantime and um <laughs> and now he w- works full-time for second sight so he's got like a lot less time but uh, we've been slowly filming interviews with people over the last couple of years and we've got like really cool people like Rob Zombie and um, just the same again, like loads of directors of all the famous sort of naughties films like Wrong Turn and um, we got uh, Bill Malone who directed Fear.com and also House on Haunted Hill remake and Jeffrey nice. Reddick who I think was one of the creators of... Um, final destination uh but we're just sort of like sitting tight uh filming people waiting trying to get eli roth (laughs) 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 because we can't really do the noughties without hostel i don't know but everything else i think yeah anyway sorry we're not here to talk about that (laughs) i just want to say if you're if you're getting anyone excited that there's going to be an in search of darkness noughties well hopefully we'll (laughs) we'll get in there first I hope they're not listening to it. <laughs> I don't care if they're fun. listening. They're just doing it for the money. <laughs> shots, shots fired. It's true fact. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, well, as we mentioned at the start, you've got your world premiere of the film coming up soon at, at Fright Fest this year. Was was that always the plan to get it out at this festival, or you know? Um, because you, again, you've got you go to streaming platforms now. You can do all sorts of stuff with your film, right? I think you you festival programming is is great. Playing stuff in an audience and presenting it, engaging in actual direct reaction. I think it'd be so depressing if something just went on streaming and and uh, you know you didn't really all you see is a few tweets about it. I mean, Sarah had that problem with found footage phenomenon. I always thought it was really sad that it came out sort of pandemic time and she missed out on the. The bulk of the festival mm. run, um, there was a few exceptions, but definitely, I mean, I, I, I love that sort of trolling troll around festivals and, and talking to people and being somewhere else. Yeah, I have to say, I didn't even know the joys of it really until like we did sitches and stuff for the fan footage, and I thought, wow, this is why people make stuff really because you just get mm. to go around and it's so fun and, and people want to watch your film and it's, that's the best bit. I don't even care if anyone reviews it negatively <laughs> as long as it Honestly, gets into festivals <laughs> well even having um 
Katsuhito Ishii over um, for the kind of double bull at the Prince Charles the other day, I was watching him and it looked like he was on drugs, but he was just so high on the energy of everyone just being so excited for him. And I could tell it was like, that's like a really exciting feeling for him just to have everyone, you know, so excited about his films. That's so cool. Yeah. That must be nice. Like, because especially if you're um, not, I mean, is he used to his films being coming over to the West at all? I don't think so. Yeah. So he that was, must he be was in, the thing is, he was in Cannes, Toronto, Berlin. So he's done all the big festivals before, but I guess it's been a while and um, he maybe forgot about the feeling that, that because though that was during maybe films like Taste of Tea or, or uh, well, he's, he hasn't made a film for a long time. And I, I guess he just, he forgot about it because he's been making commercials uh, for so long that um, it was really like, uh, yeah, like something like becoming a kid again or something like that. And it, it just, it's like that, I guess, you know, if you, in that, 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 especially in the Western festivals and the fantastic festivals aren't they they're always the audiences like um when i was i was at, in in new chantel with um with with Ishi and all the audience like yells at the uh, during the commercials at the head and they all clap here and there and it's, it's just a completely different audience than like uh maybe a more serious film festival so if you're making a fantastic type film you get that really lively and really hot audience that um it's really fun if you're a filmmaker and that's your film being screened yeah, I mean, I, I remember a touching moment with, um, it was a pink filmmaker, Memorial um, Watanabe, Memorial Watanabe, um, made about 150 films since the 60s, but, you know, he was in his 80s and Alex Alton invited him over to Nippon Connection. At the end of it, he got me and Alex to one side and I was going, you know, this is the first time anyone has invited me overseas and it's like, I feel like this is the most important in my life. And he was almost in tears. It was so moving. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's it's yeah that's awesome are you both going to be there then so i know i think do, do you get your premiere on the friday morning and then i think you have another screening on the saturday evening is that right sunday, sunday evening yeah sunday evening sorry i'll put the links to the tickets and everything in the show description so people can just quick link over to there if they want to come see it yeah yeah that would be great and we are we're gonna intro and do Q and A's. I think for both. Um, that's what they asked us to do. So I'm pretty sure that's what we're doing. We'll be there. Awesome. Well, I'm gonna come down too and uh, to meet you both in person finally. <laughs> Thanks. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Well, look. I mean, yeah. I can't say enough good stuff about the film. I'm really excited to see it with an audience. Um, and yeah, I really hope this. You know, like you said, um, gets that. Uh, kind of um reach that it deserves like you said after the, the experience you had with found footage phenomenon because again yeah hopefully this this gets received very differently thank you yeah. one thing i did want to talk about if you don't mind quickly is um adam's got a film at fright fest 2 this year which is pretty cool um it's yunta yamaguchi's river um i don't know have you, have you had a chance to see this yet when is it playing it's playing Saturday morning, but I just got an email from them saying, can we have another show? Because it sold out really quickly. So I think there's awesome. another show. Um, but, but one, I think every time they, they uh, like, because all the films that they've had for me in the past have been comedies, which usually, obviously, it's quite a more hardcore festival, Fright Fest is. And, and every time they, they take a film and they're like, wow, we don't think it'll be very good because it's a comedy. And, like, it ends up getting, like, screened, like, two or three extra times. <laughs> and... Um, that was obviously beyond the infinite two minutes and one cut of the dead and stuff like uh they kept on adding all these extra screenings but but this one is a lot more of a comedy than than uh 
the other two, so I'm I'm a little surprised. But uh, I guess won't be on the Infinite Tomb. It was such a big phenomenon, I guess, uh, worldwide that uh, everybody does want to see this. But I'm wondering, actually, it it, it is quite uh, more of a comedy than anything else. So, what you think there's going to be backlash? People walking out being like, "I just laughed the whole time and I wasn't scared." I yeah. have seen no, people, no, but <laughs> I have seen people say about Fright Fest you, that it's you know it's called Fright Fest, but they will always argue that it's a genre festival and comedy is yeah. like a genre genre. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they play they play think... comedies. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, this is a straightforward comedy. It's not. It's not like a a, a fantasy comedy or, or like a horror comedy. But but I guess you know that genre crowd. You know, you can't just watch like slasher films from morning to night. I mean, you need a little bit of a break to be honest, or it gets a bit uh, <laughs> yeah, <sorry>. boring. <laughs> nice little palate cleanser. But yeah, I think people are just excited to see the film on the big screen, no matter how how they can get to it. You know, um, I'm really pumped for that. Adam, you've obviously seen it. Um, I don't know that much about it, and I don't want to know too much either because obviously the surprise is going to be the fun of it. But like, I I do know that it's got a two minute time loop thing involved, which is obviously what he explored in Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. So I was kind of just wondering if there was any kind of like, you know, stylistic or thematic differences between the two because it sounds like he's exploring the same idea again. Well, I was a li- at first saying like you shouldn't do that because there's no way you could top Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. I mean, it's such a complex film. And mm. making another two minutes will make people co- will compare it to to Beyond. When I first watched it, I did the same. But what the director was telling me that Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes was a film about complete logic, and it was about the to the absolute second of time that they're looking at. And this time, it takes it's in a sort of you know MCU, the the cinematic universe of theirs, but it's a human drama. So the two minutes is a bit irrelevant to be honest. It's uh, okay. it could be two minutes, ten minutes. It is everything is exactly two minutes, but it could be two minutes, ten seconds, fifteen seconds. Like that's not something they want you to think about. It's just um, it's a, a, a time loop film uh, in which a character is this, uh, or a whole town is stuck in a two minute loop of, of 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 time, and they're trying to figure out how to get out of the loop. But the two minutes itself, like you know, I think, yeah, I mean, maybe if we if I bring it back to the the door situation, which we could obviously talk uh, mm. connect to to the J-horror is that um, when I was telling when Jasper, because Jasper did the um, the audio commentary on Door and Door 2, which is also on the disc, um, has absolutely no connection to Door whatsoever, <laughs> except for the fact that when when they, the director was writing a screenplay to a film called Tokyo Diary, which is like they, they started pre-production and the producers had had seen the success of, of door and vhs at the time and they're like if you call it door two we'll, we'll give you more money so they, they they call it door two but there's no connection with door whatsoever and i think maybe it could be that in it. this case they want to <laughs> <laughs> well, I, there's, there's three doors behind me right now but uh, i think uh, yeah they're not hard to find in the world i'd imagine there's a linking but, but maybe maybe they, yeah they want to connect the two minutes uh, um but but i wouldn't really compare it to uh or or think about beyond the infinite two minutes too much when you're watching it i mean it's been doing the, the kind of circuit the festival circuit around the world at the moment and i've been seeing all the reactions and they're they're pretty damn good I'm, yeah yeah I'm, I'm surprised uh like uh this, the re- reactions are really 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 strong and some people are saying it's like better than beyond the infinite two minutes yeah. which i personally don't think so but um a lot of people seem to and, and that's that's good <laughs> Do you think, is it anything that's like distinctly Japanese in there that maybe UK audiences will struggle to get their head around? 
the thing is, is that it's a very, it's like, uh, Jasper might, re- might remember, Mitani Koki, the, the director oh, yes. from, who makes sort of, yeah, the, like yeah, stage play. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's got that sort of very quick stage play um, and uh, theater troupe feeling to it, uh, like Mitani Koki. So it's the dialogue is very quick and fast and there's a lot of characters bouncing off each other. So it's... Uh, but at the same time, I don't really think it's it's too Japanese or so for for uh, for some for people to understand. Awesome! Well, I can't wait to see that too. So, sounds like the first screening sold out. So, if we do get another screening in there, I'll put the link in the notes so people can grab tickets there too. Um, so, yeah. The only other thing we really want to talk about was the fact, and you know, again, there is a link to J Horror slightly. Is is the director's company's box sets that uh, Adam's going to be releasing over the next sort of few months? Um, so you've got Door and Door Two, uh, you've got The Guard from the Underground, um, which is Kyoshi Kurosawa, and then you've got Typhoon Club as well. Um, all three of them like really different films, but kind of in this collective. So I just wondered, like, for those who are unfamiliar with like the director's company if you could maybe shed a bit of light on its significance and maybe, you know, the contributions that they did to Japanese cinema. I mean, Jasper obviously is, is very, very knowledgeable about this and did a commentary on door. So uh, if you don't actually Jasper like to explain and also connect to your, your documentary, because uh, you talk about sweet home in your documentary as Mm. well as director's company. So it might be uh, interesting to connect. Yeah. It's it's actually amazing. We've got to this point where that's the first mention of Kyoshi Kurosawa almost, but (laughs) yeah, director's company was um, big. um, Well, uh, it's difficult to explain. It's a production collective. We might say it was a company, but it was a a case for all these directors who was sort of came from backgrounds in either independent sort of Jishueg of the 8mm filmmaking scene or, or from Roman porno or from um, the pink film sector uh, to actually make a, a, a film within a, an environment that sort of favoured the director's artistic vision rather than the producer's one. Um, mm-hmm. So really it was just sort of like a, a workshopping, very idealistic um, and, you know, when the... The filmmakers were all making stuff for specific markets, um, but you know, and when they were in their downtime, the the company also got them to do PR sort of work and uh, make karaoke videos and all that sort of stuff. So it was an idea, you know, bring, fostering an environment where people could fund their filmmaking. Um, and the, what came out of this this environment was a, a whole mixture of stuff. I mean. There were sort of very arty pink films uh, like Banmei Takahashi's Wolf and uh, the Harlem Valentine Day. Um, but there was stuff like Sogoishi, you know, made uh, Crazy Family. Somai um, Shinji, Shinji Somai, was, you know, an assistant director in Nakatsu, but, you know, he made all his, you know, most of his work through these sort of production deals uh, that the, uh, like Typhoon Club, that was made possible by... Uh, the director's company but it was i mean it was great because it was a mixture of like artistic ambition but also you know commercial hard-headedness because that's where door you know a horror film evil dead trap as well uh guards mm-hmm. the underground uh you know they were made with a sort of horror market in mind and and really i mean door is quite fascinating because it's you know if you look at the history of japanese horror there wasn't really anything like it this sort of weird home invasion movie that ends with a chainsaw uh 
Euler's <laughs> neck, as you see this chainsaw at her feet at the very beginning of the film. <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I thought it really interesting as well that um, oh, Ban Mei Takahashi comes from a pink background, but the assistant director, now, Hideyuki uh, Hiriyama, uh, went on to a very commercial career afterwards, but he made all the, the haunted school sort of uh, Toho kids ghost movies which are almost oh, a yeah. parallel track to what Jay Horror was doing in the 90s. Do you know what? I just recently found out about them, and I, I, I just did a bit of research on Letterboxd, and nearly all of them have really positive reviews, like talking like 3.5s, 4 out of 5s, and that's quite rare for a franchise like that, so I'm, I'm gagging to, to see those. Big Toho Productions, wouldn't they, so it's, yeah. So no chance then from Adam. <laughs> Anything to do with like, nah. <laughs> I've been trying to find my way around recently uh, because through the director's company because they were, uh, Toho used to distribute their films to like ATG and stuff. And therefore I've been trying to get some of the producers of some of those films to push Toho to let their producers uh, handle the international sales. And I've managed with one film from the, I'm not going to say what it is now, but um, there seems to be a sort of, in road uh, if the producers of the films work hard on my behalf. Uh, so there is, but yeah, Toho really uh, shut the door uh, for, for everything else. We should put Adam on a pedestal here, definitely, because one thing that is very important is that none of these films like Typhoon Club and, I mean, Dora, it hasn't been seen on DVD. Mm. They're all stuck in this sort of rights limbo because the director's company went bankrupt and, and sort of, so no one really knew where the elements were or who owned them. So I'm hoping, you know, we're going to see a lot more. Adam hasn't told me what's going to come out now, but Mermaid's Legends, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, most of these started from a friend of mine who was an ex-member of, who was actually the producer of The Guard from Underground, um, the Kurosawa film that uh, uh, was after Sweet Home. And uh, actually, yeah, there's some sort of link to uh, J-Horror bursts with, with that as well and Kurosawa's career from there. But um, yeah, he, this producer found all these negatives that were lost and and one of the negatives was door another one was god from underground one was typhoon club as well but um he found them and and he has been trying to clear the rights for distribution in japan and then he i met him and we've been trying to clear them for for the west uh, <laughs> but yeah these directors company films um yeah have been a pain and, and the rights uh, for all of them are a pain and uh it's taken a long time to sort them out. But luckily, having new masters helps sort of push the process forward a little more because it's uh, you don't clear rights or something you don't have, you can't make into a new Blu-ray or or, or, uh, or DCP. So, um, yeah, luckily to this guy, found all these prints. And, uh, yeah, thanks to him. Yeah, and I think it's amazing what you're doing. I mean, it's not like most Blu-ray companies. All the other ones, I would say, just get a shopping list from the studio and go, oh, I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that. But, you know... There's so many films where you actually have to actively track down the rights. So I think you've done an astonishing <laughs> job with uh, with the the direct company stuff. So I'm, I'm lucky to this, this having this guy. But even like you know, I made all the subtitles for Door and Door Two and all that. I mean, there weren't just there weren't even subtitles or, or anything available for them. So it was, uh, yeah. If if the subtitles aren't up to scratch, then I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, though, Jasper. You're right. I mean. I don't think we give Adam the credit he's probably due for how much work he puts mm. in. Um, but I know, Adam, I saw yesterday you were sharing that already, you know, we, we just announced it on, what was it, Friday? And um, already, you know, you're, you've dominated the top five of world cinema sales on Amazon. Um, 
Joey from uh, Terracotta Distributions already saying that like it's been one of the most um, quickly bought releases when it went live on the site. So there's definitely you know a thirst out there for this sort of stuff from people. Yes, uh, luckily. <laughs> I keep you going. <laughs> luckily. Cool. Well, thank you so much, guys. It's been really lovely to talk to you. And um, I can't wait to meet you in person and see the film at Fright Fest. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, you too. Looking <laughs> forward to meeting you. Yeah. And Adam, we're going to come back to Japan. We should all meet up again in February, if you want. Uh, February... I'd say come to where I live in Morioka, but February is like minus fifteen degrees, so um, it's, it's not. Well, we can. We, it's not. <laughs> we're actually gonna. We were, well, we haven't booked yet, but we're planning to come for like two months, so we might be there wow. March as well. I don't know if it's still cold. When the snow is melted. Yeah, when the snow is melted, I say it's a fantastic place uh, to visit. So um, please, I'll, I might snow. be in Tokyo. Snow's <laughs> good. <laughs> It's, it's here. It's so cold. Doesn't snow actually. It's 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 minus. It's that that really cold. But it actually just doesn't. It's too cold to, to snow. So it's it's not that nice to be honest. Yeah, but just at the end of your trip, uh, I'll come to Tokyo before and uh, see you there. Brilliant. Awesome. What? Where can our um, listeners uh, find you guys? Follow you? Uh, you know, get uh, watch your stuff, read your stuff, anything like that. Uh, midnight Eye, uh, me. Uh, <laughs> you don't do Midnight Eye anymore. What are you talking about? I oh, know, it's still <laughs> the, the email address is still working. What are um, you stuck in the past, like J Horror? <laughs> <laughs> I have got a website URL, but I can never remember it. But, um, yeah, it, just yeah. Google him and, and Google look for the look for the I Jasper shot that isn't the bald guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we're on, I mean, for the documentary and uh, personally, we're on Twitter and Instagram and Jasper's on Facebook. So you can just search our names, I think. We'll be barely. No, we're not going to do, oh, hashtag Fair the J Horror Virus. <laughs> anyway, it's not Twitter anymore. So X. you'll just never find oh. us. <laughs> He'll change his mind again in a few weeks. It'll all go back. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you know, Adam's available at Twitter or x.com, whatever it's now. X.com. Um, yeah, which sounds so, like, you know, wrong, doesn't it? I don't get Definitely it. Definitely sounds like whatever. a porn site. Yeah. It does. <laughs> but, yeah, at Third Window on Twitter, uh, and it's at Third Window Films on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else, right? YouTube? Yes. I should know by now. We've been doing this for nearly two years, but uh, <laughs> I still doubt myself. And yeah, I'm uh, on Twitter and Letterbox as at BenjiBox, spelt with a Y. Awesome. Well, thanks again, guys. Um, we will be covering, I guess, the director's company films in more detail over the next few months, right, Adam? As they're, I think they're staggered uh, one a month, is it? Yeah, September, October, November, three of them, uh, the end of each month. Perfect. So we'll be doing those. But yeah, thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on the Third Window Films podcast. Two flights up by the third window from the right. Two flights up by the third window from the right. The third window from the right. Two flights up 
That's the one with the shape pulled down. That's the